Hi, I'm Bob Fisher, guest hosting for Dave Gilmore, and this is Design Intelligence. You'd be hard-pressed to find an architect or design professional who believes their clients understand and will pay for the true value of design. As part of our series called Designing Value, we'll be talking to leading thinkers about how we define and communicate the value of design to provide actionable insights to apply in practice. Our guest today is Julia Gamalina. Julia is an Associate Principal and Business Development Director at Ennead Architects, a visiting assistant professor at Pratt Institute, and founder and editor-in-chief of Madam Architect, a digital magazine and media startup that celebrates extraordinary women in architecture and advocates for greater equality in the profession. On this edition of This is Design Intelligence, she shares how Madam Architect grew into the destination to hear from women in the industry, how she gets students to understand and embrace business development, and how engaging with communities is at the heart of all she does. Welcome to this edition of This is Design Intelligence, conversations with leadership voices in the built environment. Julia Gamalina, welcome to This is Design Intelligence. Thanks so much for agreeing to sit down with us. Thank you for having me, Bob. Well, I've been looking forward to this for uh, quite a while because in this Designing Value series, uh, we're trying to get different perspectives on how design creates value and how we can uh, articulate that value and how, frankly, designers can capture that value uh, in their interactions with clients. And you've got three very distinct perspectives on this. The first is in professional practice. The second is as an educator, and then the third is as a founder of an online publication, all having to do with design. So tell us a little bit about all the different things that you're up to these days and kind of how you got here. So I'm trained as an architect. I got my Bachelor of Architecture from Cornell uh, 10 years ago. Actually, I presented my thesis 10 years ago today and then worked for a number of years as a designer, um, and then slowly switched over to the client relations and business development side of practice. So today, I'm an associate principal at Ennead um, and the business development director. That's the professional practice piece. In terms of teaching, I teach also professional practice with three other co-professors at Pratt Institute. And that was a very intentional choice on my part because you know we're so focused on studio and studio culture and architecture school, but what it's actually like to be an architect is so many other things, which is what we try to capture in this class. And so that's, I really want to make that central to the students, you know, expectations of the industry, et cetera. And then with the media piece, um, you're talking about Madam Architect, which is a magazine I started five years ago. We just celebrated our anniversary last week. And that really just came from conversations I had with my mentors early in my career. I was always proactive about seeking mentorship and guidance, you know, arriving to a new city and a new industry for the first time. And I never set out to start a magazine like this or of this scale, but through these conversations and just seeing how well-received the published interviews were, it snowballed into what it is today. I mean, I'm sure that the whole idea of the value of design is something that's forefront of your mind in all of those roles. It absolutely is, whether it's, you know, finding the right match in terms of clients and who to work with to bring buildings into the world, whether it's, you know, interviewing patrons of architecture from Adam Architect and people that select and commission architects, and then um, teaching students about how to articulate their own value, whether they're just starting their careers and looking for jobs or whether they know they'd like to start a firm one day. Um, it is really interesting to see that three different 
practice areas that it feeds into. Well, I know that a lot of different firms or, you know, the many firms that I deal with, uh, they all kind of look at the way that design creates value differently, and they all have a different way of telling that story. What is Enid's approach to the way that design creates value, and how is it that you articulate that to clients? The practice was born out of a focus on the public realm. Um, That is kind of the heart and soul of our practice, you know, through a lot of our cultural work or institutional work, um, even commercial work. The idea of community and public space is is kind of what it all begins from. Um, And so I think that's where we start. That's really what our emphasis has always been that's those are the people that we'd like to work with. Again, no matter kind of what market or where they are in the world, whether it's Shanghai, where we have an office, or whether it's California, where we just opened an office. But this focus on public space is always there. So, do you when you're talking about uh, the, the way that design creates value with clients, do you talk about the process or do you talk more about the end product, the building or the environment? Uh, we talk about process and end product, but end product in terms of its effects rather than its, you know, physical characteristics or how every, something might look like. Um, we talk about, you know, community coming together, people coming together for performances, for educational institutions, whatever it may be. And we certainly talk about process. That is what we come to clients with first is they're really buying into a process and a way of engaging with us and us with them and us engaging with their communities. And I think that's what sets us apart and creates such quality buildings. So when, you, uh, when you're talking with clients, what seems to resonate best with them? You know, what is it that, uh, how is it that your clients see uh, value in design? For us, I think it really comes down to our leaders and the folks driving the projects forward or project champions or project architects, the partners, you know, the design partners and the managing partners working as a partnership. Um, and Enyad is a, you know, a team of people, a team of people are leading the company that really comes across. You know, I've worked earlier for sole proprietorships, uh, for much, you know, much smaller leadership groups and the sense of community and consensus building and everyone in being in it together is also at the heart and soul of what we do. Community engagement is really important to us um, with many of our projects. And that is actually, a you know, that is the value that we bring to the client is taking the users through this process, taking the various communities that they're involved with through this process. And we actually just conducted an internal workshop to make sure that the way that we engage with community and various stakeholders is best in class. So that's very central to our process. Do the clients get it or does it take some explaining and some educating? They definitely get it. Um, you know, especially the cultural institutions we work with, the higher education institutions. Um, I mean, they're leading groups of people. And so I think that really resonates with them when we bring that to the table. Let's talk now about your work through Madam Architect. So you told us a little bit about how it came about, that really it was something that grew out of finding your way uh, as a young practitioner in architecture. Tell us a little bit more about how the actual publication came about. Sure. So I immigrated quite a bit growing up, um, first from Siberia to Canada, then from Canada here to the U.S. And all throughout this very early on, my mom sat me down 
and said, basically, look, I'm not your best resource. You know, I'm your mother. I will guide you and provide for you in all the ways that I can and um, to the best of my abilities. But I'm also new here. I don't speak English. I've never taken the SAT. I've never written cover letters. So when it comes to your academic and, you know, ultimately and eventually your professional realm, I'm just not your best resource and you'll have to find some other resources. So I was always that kid building relationships with my teachers, asking them for advice and guidance on specific schoolwork, but also just on life and career navigation and planning for college, all of that. And that continued through architecture school. You know, I was very close with some of my professors, my female professors. And then when I graduated and moved to New York City, I realized that this built-in system of mentorship and guidance that you have while you're a student, whether it be in K-12 or higher education, is kind of gone. And whereas some firms like here at INEAD, we do have a really wonderful mentorship program where we match mentors and mentees based on their interests and based on where they'd like to take their careers. But early in my career, I was choosing more boutique firms that didn't have official systems of mentorship that were very male dominated, um, not a lot of women in design or in leadership. And so I kind of took it upon myself to get out and about and meet my mentors. I met a lot of my mentors through this really wonderful not-for-profit here in the city called Architects. Um, And this was founded by a former professor of mine, Nina Friedman, along with Lori Brown, to bridge the gap between academia and practice specifically for women and to provide this sort of mentorship. And they had an online journal. They had a blog that was edited by Sarah Rafson. She was the editor-in-chief. And I pitched Sarah um, to do interviews with my mentors. She said, yes, I did a few interviews. I think I did four interviews kind of sporadically here and there. And then we had the idea to do a guest editorship where I would curate a group of interviews for three months, um, publish those. And so I did, although it ended up being a four-month-long guest editorship because everyone that I reached out to for an interview said yes, which was kind of the first clue that, you know, I've tapped into something here. Um, And when the guest editorship was coming to an end, you know, they had the next guest editor lined up. I thought to myself, I can't stop this work. And my readers that, you know, we've now built with this, you know, don't want this to stop either. And so I just knew that it made sense for Madam Architect to have its own place online, its own place in the world. And so that's what we did five years ago. So Madam Architect started out as kind of just a just a series and grew to its own entity, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. So what is it that changed for you over the dozens, if not hundreds of interviews that you've done? Um, What is it that that you started out trying to do and how has that evolved through time? You know, it's funny you ask what how it's changed, because I'm not sure that it has for me. I started doing this with a very fundamental belief that mentorship matters and that women were not getting enough nowhere close to near enough recognition in the industry um, through, you know, all the outlets, awards and story write-ups and project highlights, et cetera. Um, But also people weren't really too focused on in the design media, I don't think. I know growing up, you know, I would look to general interest women's magazines for guidance on just like career development and life development. And I would inhale like Elle and Vogue. And then design publications, um, I would inhale for architecture, but they wouldn't really focus on the people. And if they focused on the people, it would be more about their design inspirations versus, you know, their values and how they choose to live their lives and how they choose to treat others. And so I really see Madam Architect as a marriage of the two. And the further I go with it, the more clear that is, that this is a little bit of a new silo we've, we've carved out for ourselves in the industry. 
but also, you know, we started with interviews and we now have a historical columnist who's female. We have a design critic who's female. I think it's about women's voices and a woman's perspective in these various concentrations that we've really put together. And so now people come to me and say, you know, Madam Architect is the destination to hear for women in the industry. And I really think that's true. Well, I would agree with you. It seems like it's really taken off in the last few years. So, and it also is interesting the way that you've kind of flipped the uh, flipped the traditional design media on its head, right? Which started mm-hmm. out with the object, and then maybe you hear something about the person behind it. Mm-hmm. Whereas you are getting to architecture through the architect. Exactly, and um, one thing we were I was really intentional about was on our Instagram page. For every interview, we feature three posts. We feature a portrait. We feature a post of the architect's work. And we feature a quote because I really think that highlighting both the person, their work, and their words, and, you know, that's their values, is all very important. I want to see the person behind it. I want to know what kind of work they're putting out into the world. And I want to know what they believe in. Um, it's funny. I almost feel like a client or something like, who who do I want to hire? But it's who do we want to feature? And um, yeah, it's been really important for us to cover all three elements. And it's a great approach. So what have you learned about the the value that design creates through talking to so many different people? This may be so trite, but it really is so true. I do think design can change lives. I do think design can make people healthier and happier and more connected and less lonely. The interview we're publishing this week actually is with Erin Peavy from HKS, who focuses on mental health and architecture, and she is the absolute best resource to talk about this. But I do think it matters, even in terms of colors that you choose. You know, we profiled Suchi Reddy, who's really big on neuroesthetics, and her design philosophy is that form follows feeling versus, you know, the sort of modernist form follows function approach. And I just think, like, to see the work that Suchi and Aaron and others are producing and what they're being hired to do, it's clearly resonating and it clearly matters to people. And um, again, a healthier, happier society is just is like the goal. <laughs> and I think that's possible through design. It sounds like a lot of the women that you're speaking with uh, really take a people first approach in the architecture and design they create. Very much. Yep. And so I would imagine that a lot of the the way that the value is articulated has to do with its effect on people, first and foremost. Yeah. And it's interesting. I think, you know, from their interviews, these two specifically, again, with Aaron and Suchi, they talk about how architecture has influenced them when they were very young. You know, Suchi's house was really extraordinary. And um, she really talks about feeling it, feeling it in her body, feeling that it was a different, a different kind of environment and that having a profound effect on her. And so I think that's just so interesting. You know, they have felt the effects of architecture on them when they were young and growing up and in their formative years. And now they're giving back in this way. And I just think that's really beautiful. A lot of us who are big fans of architecture and design or who practice architecture and design really get that. You know, I can think of uh, being at someplace like the Salk Institute, where when you walk onto that campus, you really feel different, you know, and it's really quite pronounced. Yeah. One of the questions I have, and this might loop back to, you know, your role at Ennead, do clients buy that? Are they willing to pay for that kind of thing or does it feel a little abstract to them? 
I think the sophisticated clients do, uh, just like, you know, any kind of group of people out in the world, I think there's different clients. And that's what makes my role in business development at Ediad so exciting is we really are proactively searching for people that do value this work, that do believe in it, that do understand the effects of it, that understand some of the investment behind it or some of the cost savings too, you know, it, it's, it's all together. But that is what my role is, is being, you know, being being very intentional and well-researched about who we are designing with. Is it type of matchmaking? It, it's 100% a type of matchmaking. It's very invigorating, though, when you, to think of it that way for me. So let's jump over to your students. What do students think a business developer does in a professional practice? It's a great question. They're very curious about it. Um, they don't really know. That's the interesting thing. I think they understand that it relates to money and money coming in or out. But students are super, super curious. And I, that's actually, you know, one of the things that I really tried to drive home uh, with my class is you, you really need to understand business development because you're doing it all the time, whether you know it or not. So you might as well be very intentional about it. And you're starting to do it now. You know, the person sitting next to you in studio might hire you later. They might go work for a client or a developer or be a campus architect. And you just never know where life will go in this sense. And so I always say to them, you know, do your best work the best as you can. Treat people with as much kindness as you can. Um, and I mean, that is like like career and life development and business development in and of itself. So are you pretty successful at getting them to look at the bigger picture? I mean, it's a, it's a more encompassing approach to what you just said. That's that's a great question. They just turned in their final papers. And um, in this class, we had everybody study a building here in the city that they could go visit, see for themselves, uh, potentially interview people that are in the city that have worked on it. And what was really important for me with their papers is for them to give me their critical take on the on the building, on the process, on any sort of community engagement, whether it happened or not. And I was just grading a few days ago, and I was so pleased to see that all of them provided their opinion, provided their take in their own words. I was really proud. And so I think they are definitely seeing the bigger picture of architecture and the ecosystem and the city um, and how different players all come together to put something as complex as a piece of architecture into the world. You know, your work in teaching professional practice is so important. Uh, a lot of how I spend my day is working through our strategic advisory practice with clients on how to improve their practices as, as a business or as an enterprise. And it's so it's such a misunderstood part of professional practice generally or of, of being an architect. How is it that you try to prepare students for that aspect of what they'll be doing? Sure. So thankfully, the curriculum is, um, there's a great breadth to it for this professional practice class at Pratt. And one thing I'll also note is I teach graduate students. So these are people who know how to be students. There's not a lot of handholding in terms of, you know, just like finishing assignments and things like this. Um, but they also know that they want to be in the industry and they want to be architects. So I think also touching on something you said earlier, they are very curious to absorb, you know, everything about the profession, everything about the industry. In terms of running an office, building an enterprise, so we cover um, business development, RFPs, RFQs. We cover the legal aspect of the profession, contracts, what to look for, what kind of language to use or not to use. We look at scope and schedule, uh, fees a little bit. And I just, I, I repeat myself a lot in class because I think people don't always hear things and they hear 
things differently based on what they're going through. Um, but something I always repeat is there is just so much to manage when you're running a practice. There's so much to think about around, you know, in addition to and around just the process of design, you're thinking of people and HR, you're thinking of contracts, you're thinking of scope and schedule again. And we just really really structure the class so that every class is dedicated to a different topic of professional practice and a different topic of running an office. And so I think that the way the class is structured just naturally makes students understand the larger picture. But we also, as professors, really do drive the message that you, if you are interested in running a practice, if you are interested in being in leadership and architecture, you will be facing all of these things, you know, whether you like it or not, sooner rather than later. And um, just to be really mindful. Well, there's so much that you uh, that you have to impart to them, and it, it, I imagine that one semester or so is just scratching the surface. In a magic wand scenario where you could cover anything that you wanted to, what do you think it's important for students of architecture and design to understand about both professional practice and about the value of design and how to articulate that? We've had some really wonderful guest critics and guest lecturers come in, join us for the class, um, one of them being from Design Advocates, which was a group that was formed in the COVID pandemic, who are working on pro bono projects here in the city with restaurants and other community groups, um, just you know providing pro bono architectural services. And a lot of students were really, really interested by that. They were saying, you know, there's the traditional road of professional practice, but what can we do kind of on an extracurricular basis in addition to whatever we might do in practice? And I think that's one thing that I'd like to impart on everybody is you learn so many different things in architecture school. You build so many skills. I mean, I think Madam Architect, the way that I've built it and designed it, you know, it's a media platform, but a lot of the rigor behind it definitely comes down to my training in architecture school and just repetition and iteration um, and considering all the different pieces of the whole. And so what I really hope to impart on my students is that what they're learning, even in a professional practice class, can just apply to so many other things that they're interested in and to keep all those interests alive because that's how they're going to bring something new into the world. Well, it's a wonderful message because it lets students know that they can do many different things their way. You know, everybody mm -hmm. has their own way of practicing design and architecture. You know, they've got their own approach. And, it, you know, they can, they can be themselves, but yet they can do many different things. And I would, mm -hmm. I would assume that means including business development. Definitely. Yeah, so one of the things that I often talk to uh, clients about is that you don't have to become like P.T. Barnum uh, in order to be an effective business developer, that uh, really it that's the exact opposite of what you want to do. You want to be your authentic self in developing real relationships with clients. Absolutely. And everyone has their own style. You know, some people love to give lectures and talk in, in front of crowds and that feeds them. Some people love one-on-one -on -one coffees and dinners. Some people love inviting folks to the studio. Some people love to go visit job sites with folks. It's all completely different. And I think the most effective business development is, you know, people's highest and best use. What do they like? What are they good at? What do they feel comfortable? And that's the context I love to put them in together with a client um, just so, you know, it's the most authentic all around. Yeah, there's a colleague of mine that says that business development is really the first step in the design process because that's really where you make connections with the client and you really get to know them and you really get to know what it is that they're trying to accomplish. Very much so. 
So in Madam Architect, you said that you sometimes interview clients mm-hmm. uh, or, or those people who hire architects and designers. What have you learned about uh, the value of design from their perspective? Well, I've learned that this connection and understanding, sort of the matchmaking that you were referring to, is very, very important. I've interviewed a few people who started with one architect and then switched gears and hired another. And so I think just like you said, you know, the design begins in business development, really, or business development is the first step of design. Those early days with the client and, you know, the deep listening, establishing understanding, you know, making sure that you're really taking everything in that they are looking for and have to say and making sure you're a good you're a good match for them, but that it's a good match altogether to, again, produce something really complex and beautiful into the world is so important. And I've I've been lucky that I've interviewed clients who've built some really beautiful things. We interviewed Saatchi and Saatchi's um, COO, Lolly Kohler in Los Angeles, and she was very involved in this new headquarters for the brand. And we also interviewed Sharon Prince, who's the founder of Grace Farms. Um, so, you know, both very sophisticated clients, you know, very interested in design, even, you know, before the design process. But I just think that really makes a difference, too. Right. I want you to put your educator hat back on and give a grade to the architecture profession for properly articulating and claiming the value of design. No grade inflation. No great inflation. I'm I'm so bad at that. I just want everyone to feel good. <laughs> I mean, I think the conversations that are being had lately and, you know, by a lot of the younger people in the profession, those entering in and um, kind of working their way up, I would say we are at, a, you know, a B plus. Oh, that's pretty good. It is pretty good. I think I'm very optimistic. I think, you know, people talk about social media a lot of times negatively and that, you know, it's um, there's just all kinds of things out there and it's very distracting. But I think social media has given everybody, um, you know, uh, a megaphone and everyone can be their own PR person now. And when you have, you know, one person saying something, that's one thing. When you have a whole group of people or a whole industry of young people or vice versa, an industry in which all the young people are saying the same thing, you have to listen. And I think, yeah, a lot of people kind of really in the trenches and producing the work and doing the work today for us are having those conversations and it's excellent. Do your students have the same kind of lack of comfort or stigma around talking about money that some of their older colleagues do? I don't think so. I think, yeah, I think lately and also maybe with social media and just a lot of sharing, uh, I think it's opened a lot of doors for people and there's a lot more resources popping up. I mean, there's all kinds of resources on talking about money and architecture, whether it's, you know, related to your personal career growth and asking for raises and negotiation and things like this. But there's also been a lot of conversation about fees and, you know, how clients value architects. And um, again, I think it's only positive to bring these things to the surface. So tell me, what does the future hold for you? Oh my goodness. I I feel so incredibly lucky. I'm really glad to have my feet in practice because, you know, not only do I write about the industry, but I'm in it. I am also in the thick of it. I've gone through all the things. I haven't gone through the licensure process yet. I've gotten most of my hours, but I haven't taken the exams yet. So that's, uh, I'm looking to that for my future for these next few years. Um, Honestly, because I just want to experience it. I want to go through the process and kind of be in it with all the folks that I've interviewed about it. And then with Madam Architect, I mean, we have all kinds of ideas for who else we could feature, you know, how else we can feature women's voices and tell women's stories through different content verticals. And we're actually launching a few at the end of the month. We're launching two new things, which I'm super excited about. Stay tuned. 
but yeah, I'm just looking at it two years at a time because Madam Architect has grown so organically and my career has grown so organically. I've now learned that it's best to follow my enthusiasm and uh, see where it takes me. Right. Just sort of see the opportunities as they come up and be prepared for them. Absolutely. Well, it sounds like a pretty sound philosophy. Julia, thank you so much for sharing your perspective with us. Uh, we've really enjoyed this conversation and uh, looking forward to hearing all the exciting things that you will be doing in the future. Thanks so much, Bob. Uh, you will be the first to know. <laughs> Excellent. Thank you for joining us for this edition of This is Design Intelligence. The producer is Laura Spells. The sound engineer is Jared Knabel. This has been a DI Media Group production.